Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. Today, this evening, we're going to continue to talk about wise intention. And, you know, it's funny, I I made up the Dharma talk, and then after I finished the talk, I had this very strong wave of insecurity that arose. And I thought, oh my God, this topic is so boring. (laughs) It's not very often that I have that response after creating a Dharma talk, because usually I'm kind of, I don't know, excited to like present the material. But I had this strong aversion where I was like, oh my God, this topic is (laughs) so boring. So maybe it is boring. I don't know. I'll try to make it interesting. But last week, if you remember, we were talking about wise intention and it was, it was framed Um, It was framed in the spirit of starting the new year. And I was letting folks know that, you know, in the beginning of the year, there are some topics that I think it's really important to come back to when we start our year, just to remind ourselves, like, why we're practicing, what our intention is, just to get us on track to make sure we're still, that our spiritual GPS is still headed in the direction that we like. And we just wanted to touch back on that. And part of the reason that I do this in the beginning of every year is also because I really, if I look back over, you know, some of, I think some of the greatest teachings that I've gotten from teachers come back to reminding me that we're never too mature in practice to go back to basics, that the basics are the practice, and that if we strive for too much quote unquote advancement, if we cling or crave for next steps, Sometimes we miss the awakening that's right in front of us. And that I've been grateful to teachers who've reminded me that sometimes the next step is just being comfortable with where you're at. Sometimes the greatest movement in practice is to accept exactly what's happening in the moment, that that is the next step, that the deepening isn't a fireworks display on the other side of the mountain. It's just what's happening on this side of the mountain right here. So I really appreciate that from teachers that have uh, encouraged me to remember that. And, you know, when you hear stories of folks getting enlightened or getting stream entry, there's also the warning that even folks who are in the beginning stages of enlightenment can fall back if they forget the basics of practice. They can still cling to enlightenment and start to essentially reverse the process or however you want to say it, backslide, if you will. And so all of us can get off track. It's really easy to be practicing and become sort of unintentional with our practice or become lethargic and it just becomes routine and complacency can arise. Equanimity can turn to ambivalence and concentration can turn to clinging. So at the beginning of the year, I just like to come back to a few of these really basic topics just to stoke the fires of humbleness for all of us to remind ourselves that the practice is quite simple. And if we look at simplicity as the beginning stages of practice and complexity as advancing in practice, 
oh boy, <laughs> we could go all over the place. So I say this to myself so I can hear it and also so you can hear it. So um, last week we started talking about intention. Why is intention? And the intentions that we talked about last week in general were, of course, letting go, loving kindness, and compassion. And the focus of last week's talk and podcast was on the letting go factor. Just letting go, how renunciation works, why it's so integral to the Dharma, and how important it is to really remember that letting go is a significant part of our heart-oriented aspiration for the path. And we talked a little bit about goodwill and compassion. I will return to those in the coming weeks. But today I wanted to continue talking about some basic intentions that the Buddha invites us to hold close to our heart as meditators. And the three intentions that I wanted to revisit are the Buddha's instructions to be ardent, alert, and mindful. See, when I say that, it sounds boring. It's the words, I think. <laughs> I think uh, a Dharma talk on ardent, alert, and mindful sounds dry. I think that's what it is. So I want to talk about these three words because they're super, super important. And as dry as they may sound, at least to my ears in this moment, they are hugely profound in the way that the Dharma is set up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read just the first couple paragraphs of the Satipatthana Sutta because that's where these words come from. And right in the beginning instructions of meditation, the Buddha invites us to be ardent, alert, and mindful. So here is the passage, passages. Monks, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of suffering and discontent for acquiring the direct method for the realization of nirvana, namely the four Satipatthanas. Now remember, four Satipatthanas is just another way of saying the four foundations of mindfulness. What are the four? Here, monks, in regard to the body, a monk abides contemplating the body, ardent, alert, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. What are the four? Here, monks, in regard to the body, a monk abides, contemplating the body, ardent, alert, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. And he continues with each of the four foundations of mindfulness, asking the meditator to begin by being ardent, alert, and mindful. And if you ever read any book on the Satipatthana Sutta, this one comes from Bhikkhu Analyo's book, on the Satipatthana Sutta, a relatively famous one. If you read any book on the Satipatthana Sutta, you'll find that there minimally is a section, if not a whole chapter, on each one of these words. So it, they're significant in the teaching. So there's, there's definitely something there that monastics and teachers and scholars find to be very important about Dharma practice with these three simple words. So I'm going to just talk about what these words are how they work in your practice, and why they're there at the very beginning of our meditation instructions. One of the reasons these three intentions, to be mindful and ardent and alert, one of the reasons they're really important is because 
they are in fact the foundation for the intentions we discussed last week. The ability to let go, the ability to take a stand for compassion, and the ability to show up with an attitude of loving kindness. Being mindful, ardent, and alert are the foundational principles in every single mindful moment. Any mindful moment that you have has these three qualities, and our intention is to cultivate those three qualities in every mindful moment. And when we can cultivate these intentions in every mindful moment, then the other intentions, these secondary intentions, if you will, the willingness or invitation to the heart to let go, the desire to wish ourselves well and for all beings to be well, and our desire to do no harm, to be compassionate to ourselves and others. These attitudes rest on top of these. So these are foundational to the practice. These are the building blocks of the other intentions and other skillful actions that we do as meditators. So let's talk about mindfulness. It seems weird to talk about mindfulness, right? Mindfulness. Oh, we know mindfulness. It's so easy. We know what it is. We don't even have to talk about it. But it is important to remember what it is. I think every so often we just need to remind ourselves, what is mindfulness to make sure we haven't lost our way? So the goal of mindfulness, of course, from one perspective, is to open the door to the present moment. And there really isn't a need to embellish or to make mindfulness as a heart-mind quality any more complicated than that. Mindfulness as a quality of consciousness is designed to allow us to be present, to enter into the present moment. Oftentimes we try to make mindfulness too complicated, right? We try to embellish it or add things to it or um, take things away from it. But really mindfulness in its simplest form is really the most effective. Mindfulness is just the ability to hold something in mind, to direct awareness to an object and be with the object. That being with the object, holding something in mind, opens up the doorway to present moment experience. And that is really mindfulness in its most simple explanation as far as I've been able to come up with for myself. These days, I've been thinking about mindfulness like these... Um, these little camera doorbells, you know, these ring doorbells that people have where like if someone comes to your door, it rings your phone and you can see uh, who's outside. And that's exactly what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is just noticing who's at the door. It's not judging who's at the door. It's not going and rushing off to the door or hiding from who's at the door. It's just, oh, look, someone's at the door of my senses, right? Mindfulness is <laughs> a a ring doorbell or whatever the company is that makes doorbells. It's a video doorbell. It's just, hey, look, this arises in awareness. And mindfulness is just that ability to look and to see what is so. That's mindfulness. And when we try to complicate mindfulness or add things or take away from it, it becomes quickly more complicated and more difficult to understand than that. So mindfulness is just waking up to what is so in this moment. Now, there is one qualification I always like to remind ourselves. Mindfulness and awareness are not the same thing. In Western language, we often say, I'm aware, when we mean I'm being mindful. And that's okay. That exchange is okay. But it's important to know that awareness is basically always on, 
outside of enlightenment. Awareness is that background taking in of sense information. Mindfulness is cultivated. Awareness really isn't cultivated per se. Awareness is what's given. And we take awareness and we direct it to an object. That's mindfulness. Mindfulness is what we do with our awareness. So awareness is kind of the given. Mindfulness is something we do with awareness. So mindfulness has to be cultivated, at least in the beginning, and has to be intentional, has to be habituated. Awareness doesn't have to be habituated. Awareness is there. Mindfulness is cultivated. It's a skill or a heart-mind quality that we create. So it's a good distinction to make just as a reminder of practice. A few other things to remember about mindfulness. Part of the process of being mindful is remembering to be mindful. That's part of the practice. And this is so easy to forget. So easy to forget that part of being mindful is a function of memory. And when we say I'm intending to be mindful, what we're really saying is I'm intending to remind the mind to come back to my chosen object. I'm taking awareness. I'm directing it towards an object. And then when it wanders away, I'm reminding it, hey, come back to this over here. Our intention is to be with my hands. My intention is to be with the tingling in my feet and so on. So it's just important to remember because so many of us, and I still do this, when, I, when my mind wanders, I get frustrated and I want it to come back and I want my mindfulness to be clearer. And it's so easy to forget that perfect practice occurs when we wake up to the wandering mind, and we bring it back to the object. That's mindfulness. So if you have a sit that has 12 moments where the mind wanders and you bring it back, that's also 12 moments of cultivating mindfulness. So instead of looking at it as a distracted sit, you can say, oh, I had four opportunities to be mindful. So remembering that waking up to the wandering mind, bringing the mind back is part of the practice of cultivating the quality we call mindfulness. We have to remember to wake up. The more often we remember to wake up, we start waking up more and more, where awareness becomes enlivened with mindfulness, even without intention. It becomes alive in our heart-mind, and we become mindful more frequently without even thinking about it. Mindfulness just turns on because we've reminded the mind so many times now we have mindfulness as a quality of being, and that's where we're really trying to get to, to make it a habit so it is more the given rather than having to intentionally turn it on, so to speak, or light it up in awareness. On top of mindfulness, we have alertness. Alertness. It's a weird word in this context, but alertness. Alertness sometimes is called clearly seeing or clearly knowing clearly seeing or clearly knowing, but the translation I'm using is alertness because that's what I'm, I'm used to. So mindfulness and alertness. Being alert to something in the Dharma is what we do after we're present. So we wake up mindfulness, we become present to what is so, and then we apply some alertness, some clear seeing of what's being held in mindfulness. So if you see mindfulness as wrapping around, kind of in enveloping an object, 
then once you've enveloped that object, whether it's the breath or the body breathing, alertness is then what we call our discernment factor. It's looking into that awareness in saying, well, what is it exactly that I'm seeing? What really is there? What exactly is there in the awareness? So alertness is a little more detailed. It's a little more nuanced. It is about asking ourselves, what's actually going on with this breath that I am aware of? Awareness of breath, okay, mindful. I'm mindful of breathing. Alertness is asking ourselves, is the breath long? Is the breath short? Is the breath making me feel comfortable or contracted or at ease? Or what is really going on? So it's a deeper inquiry into the mindful moment. So mindfulness is our initial attention into presence. It's opening the door of attention. Alertness is looking what's on the porch, what has arrived in consciousness, and really taking in the details. Now, we don't take in so much detail that we can't pay attention, but we're taking in the details of what is actually arising. So we might be alert to some things like this. What kind of things are actually arising and passing away in the mindfulness? We might ask, where is the mind going, right? When it wanders, where does it go? Is it going to the past? Is it going to the future? Is it going to a checklist? Is it going to lust or anger or a fantasy about tomorrow? Um, you know, is it thinking about Zoom school with your kids? Where is the mind going? Mindfulness itself doesn't ask that question because mindfulness, the job of mindfulness is just to open the door and keep that door open. Alertness is the part of the mind that says, okay, what's, what, what am I really seeing? What am I really feeling? What is the depth of this moment? So we look for patterns, we look for themes. This is discernment, this is investigation, which in this context, the Buddha calls a, being alert to what's happening in the present moment. Now, sometimes when I talk about alertness with folks, there's a common question that's asked and people say, now, isn't that kind of like therapy? Aren't we at that point not meditating because we're kind of asking too many questions or we're doing some kind of psychoanalysis of like, oh, what's my mind doing? I can totally see why that would be, as Westerners, our natural question about alertness. But think of it in terms, this might help, you can think of it in terms of what you're really looking for with alertness is the allure. It's the spark. What is catching the mind's attention when it leaves the present moment? That's really the detail that we're looking for ultimately is it's not enough just to see the mind wandered. The real question is, well, what caught its attention? Why is this fantasy more interesting to my mind in this moment than the breath itself? So you're looking for the pull, that grasping energy, and you're asking yourself, not necessarily in a language sense, but you're, you're knowing that you're looking for it. Why did my mind just move over there? Why am I now thinking about my childhood? Why am I now thinking about tomorrow's board meeting? Why am I thinking about, you know, that argument I had with my spouse yesterday? Why am I not just with the breath? So the difference between mindfulness and alertness is that mindfulness holds the space. Alertness looks to see what's in the space and, and really does want to comprehend it, right? It really wants to comprehend. That's why alertness is also called clearly seeing or clearly knowing knowing the details of what's in 
the awareness. That's alertness. Now, of course, another thing that we're alert to, and this will make total sense, we want to be alert to anicca, dukkha, and anatta. Alertness is that part of consciousness or that intentionality, if you will, that says, what's in awareness is my breath. Is the breath permanent? Can I clearly see that it's not permanent? Can I see the arising moment, the passing moment? Can I see that within that arising and passing, there's no solid sense of self, anatta? Can I see that this breath is empty of solid self? Can I really clearly see that? That's alertness. That's the clear knowing. And dukkha. We hold the mindfulness space to be able to see where is the suffering in this moment? Where is the suffering in my life in the bigger picture? But in the meditative moment, one of the things we're becoming alert to is, is there tension in my heart? Is there some contraction or aversion? Are the hindrances present? We want to be alert to the tension and the discontent. Because we remember, meditation is all about freedom from suffering. So it would make sense that the Buddha's first instruction is, be alert to what's in awareness. Particularly, is there dukkha? Is there stress in this moment? Is there stress in this very breath? So alertness alerts us to dukkha, to the stress of the present moment. And those are some of the things that we can be awake and aware of while we're being mindful. So you can see that mindfulness and alertness are necessary for meditation. They're basically a description of meditation. So when the Buddha says right at the beginning of the Satipatthana Sutta that we need to have mindfulness, okay, that makes sense. And we need to be alert to what we're mindful of also makes sense when you put it in these terms. So mindfulness, alertness, and the other thing is ardency. Again, these words are really weird because we don't use these. I don't know if I've ever used the word ardency outside of a Dharma talk on these three terms. Ardency. The use of the term in the Pali for ardency, it's kind of hard to translate literally. So really it means a couple things. Being ardent in meditation means having a, a healthy, a healthy and skillful energy or passion for the practice. That's the best way I think I can describe it. It's having a healthy interest and enthusiasm, enthusiasm, yeah, a healthy enthusiasm for the practice. Another way of looking at it, um, sometimes I've heard teachers say, ardency is a desire to do the practice well, to succeed at it, to be interested in the outcome, to really want it to go well, meaning you really do want to be free from suffering. And there's an energy to ardency that when I'm sitting in meditation, since I'm going to be sitting here, I might as well engage it authentically, really be serious and excited and interested, enthusiastic about the practice. And in my experience, the reason the Buddha uses that word right in the beginning of the training for meditators is that if we can't bring a sense of interest or enthusiasm or skillful passion to the meditation, then it's really boring, right? It's, it's really not going to be very fun. Our mind's not going to stick with it. If we don't really want to be successful at it or good at it, if you will, then it's hard to keep it up. So it makes sense that the Buddha invites us to know that in order to really sit in meditation, 
we have to want to be there, right? We have to want to experience it. We And it would be the same anything else. Like, for example, like, um, I don't know. Let's say you want to learn an instrument. Like, let's say you want to learn. Well, actually, let's put it this way. Um, I'll put it from my perspective. Let's say someone told me that I could learn to play the clarinet. I don't actually have an interest in learning to play the clarinet, but I know how to learn things and I have played instruments before. So probably if I sat down with a teacher, I could probably learn the basics of how to play another instrument, but I don't really have any passion for it. I'm not really interested in it. I don't really care if I get good at it. When you put it that way, you can see that when you learn something, part of the success of learning anything, whether it's meditation or whatever it might be, has to be a particular ardency. We have to want to, to learn it. We have to want to succeed. And if we don't want to succeed or have a passion or curiosity for the outcome of the training, it's going to be really hard to establish practice. So we see in the very beginning, the Buddha acknowledges that some ardency is necessary for us to sustain our practice. Two things that I notice with students and myself included is that oftentimes students will, will ask the question or will make the statement, you know, I know I should be meditating more, but I just can't bring myself to do it, right? I should be meditating more, but I can't bring myself to do it. Or I want to do this part of meditation, but I just, I, I never find the time. What's happening there is we haven't found enough value in the meditation or we don't have enough ardency to push ourselves into the practice. And that's okay. It could be just that we framed the meditation as a duty or an obligation or something. We really need to frame our practice as something of value, of something that we're interested in, inspired to do. And the more we can frame the practice like that, if we're just gonna meditate because someone said it's gonna lower your blood pressure or help with insomnia, you know, that's gonna last maybe a week or so, maybe, I mean, maybe longer, but we really need to invest something into the practice, right? We can't just do it because someone say, hey, meditation's trendy, you should learn to do that. Because you know, we've got so many things we could be doing. Um, so that's just keep up the ardency. That's the one thing. That's why at the beginning of the year, I like to talk about this. Remind yourself what value you get out of the practice. Why are you sitting? And remember when you sit down, I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to be curious and I'm going to be interested. This is my meditation of the day. I'm really going to be present in this moment. <laughs> I did the exact opposite I think on Tuesday. I had a really good, <laughs> good sit on Monday. Tuesday, I had one of those sits where... I started sitting, I got bored, and my mind started fantasizing. I can't remember what it was, but it started just kind of daydreaming. And the daydreams were much more fun than the meditation, like hands down. And there was a moment where I realized that I could pull my mind away from the daydream and get back into the sit, <laughs> but I chose not to. <laughs> I just chose to day. It was just like, I was like, oh my God, I'm just going to, I just daydream. I just spent like 20 minutes just kind of letting my mind just wander all over the place. That's a lack of ardency, right? That's kind of a complacency. And sometimes that's just going to happen. But you know what I mean? You know, when you don't have the ardency, it's kind of when you're sitting, but you're like, ah, I really don't want to be doing this. Be careful of that. Because if that happens too much, you begin to associate the practice with kind of a duty or a chore. You know, mindfulness is not like, you know, I need to go get my, I need to go wash the clothes and clean the floor. I need to sit for 20 minutes. If we, if it's too much of a checklist, if it's too much of that, then the ardency needs to be, you know, energized in some way to make it interesting.
So mindfulness, alertness, and ardency. Ardent, alert, and mindful is the meditator. The three primary instructions right in the heart of Vipassana practice. Now, I want to connect these three intentions to what we talked about last week for those who were there or have listened to the podcast. And if you haven't, of course, the podcast is up. And there's also some great articles that I attached in the show notes for last week's podcast where you can download them. Um, and they were really cool. I found several articles on wise intention that I thought were helpful. So you can go check those out. So I just want to connect these three qualities to letting go, compassion, and loving kindness. So we can kind of see why the Buddha starts here. It's interesting that the Buddha says, be ardent, alert, and mindful before he says, be compassionate and kind. Not that he's saying, is not that he's putting it 10th on the list, of course, but he puts the ardency, alert, and mindful as our primary orientation. And here's why. In order to let go, to really have a renunciate practice where we seek out the wisdom of simplicity, we have to know what to let go of. And it's hard to know what to let go of until we're mindful and alert of what's in the present moment. So we have to be mindful, alert, and ardent to see what we can let go of. We have to establish those qualities and intentions so then we can see in the present moment, oh, wow, I'm really clinging here. Okay, I'm going to let go of that. So we can't really let go until we have the alertness and the mindfulness there as well. Then we can see what we're letting go of. It's just a practical way of looking at mindfulness. Ardency is about wanting to do the practice well, which means we want to be skillful, right? We want to be skillful. The skillfulness comes as we see clearer what's in the present moment. Because as we can indwell the present moment for longer and longer periods of time, we can then see oh, there's the hindrances. Oh, there's the enlightenment factors. And then we know what's skillful. Oh, in this moment, I'm going to do this. In this other moment, I'm going to do loving kindness practice. In this moment, I'm going to do 32 body part meditation. The mindfulness and alertness and the ardency allows us to be skillful in the meditation. And as we become skillful, that's when we can really develop the loving kindness and the compassion Part of the practice because those practices are really challenging for most of us getting into loving kindness and compassion practice self-love self self-love sounds great on the surface but it's hard to establish self-love that's consistent it's hard to love people that are pushing our buttons or be compassionate or wish well to people who are in different political parties or different so we want to establish the skillfulness in the moment and then build upon that skillfulness with compassion and with kindness. So we have to have some skill to really do the other parts. Another connection that's really, really important. And this one is, I'd say this is almost one of the most important of everything we've talked about tonight. And, it, and it's this. Mindfulness allows us to be present. The alertness allows us to see the harm that we've caused ourselves and others out of ignorance. And when we can truly see through mindfulness and through alertness that we've caused harm for ourselves and caused harm to others, 
we can then skillfully, we can then use ardency to make a commitment to do something different. And that awareness, that ardency and alertness allows us to empathize with other human beings. Because when the alertness is clear, what becomes absolutely undeniable is that human beings share the same heart-mind qualities. So that when we look at ourselves and we say, oh, wow, I've harmed myself in this way. Oh my gosh, I've been harming these other people without even knowing it. Then empathy arises. Compassion arises for other people because we realize, oh my gosh, all these other human beings are also harming people out of ignorance as well. But until we can see the ignorance in ourselves, it's hard to make a bridge to another person's heart. The ardency, alertness, and mindfulness are the seeds of compassion and seeds of loving kindness because the very first place that we have to really honor that love and kindness is towards ourselves. And the bridge between our heart and another person's heart starts inside of us. When we try to be loving to people outside of us without first seeing the need for our own forgiveness, forgiveness of self, love of self, compassion of self, it's hard to build that bridge because there's judgment and there's anger and there's shame that we project onto other people. So once we establish that alertness where we can really see in our hearts, oh my gosh, I've harmed people, but I didn't intend to. All these other people that I'm seeing that are doing harm are also ignorant of that part of themselves. When we realize that, the natural inclination is to wish that they be free from suffering. So we wish them loving kindness at its base is a wish for all beings to know the nature of suffering in their own hearts so they can let the suffering go. Once we see it in ourselves, it's so much easier to wish someone that we don't like or someone that's harmed us or someone we might call an enemy, like that kind of real, then we can really wish them well because we realize that when we say, I wish you to be free from suffering, what we're really wishing for is them to understand the true nature of their own heart. And if they understand the true nature of their own heart, the harm they do to others will decrease. So I hope that makes sense. Finding our own inner working, our own heart and mind connection by using mindfulness, alertness, and ardency, that insight that we have allows us to connect to all beings and see that other people are just like us. They're suffering under the burden of their own ignorance. And when we start opening up our own hearts, we can start having a faith that other people that we never thought were capable of stopping some kind of harm are in fact capable of that awakening because we realize they're just like us. They're just like us. They have their own ignorance and they're doing harm out of that ignorance. So mindfulness, alertness, and ardency are the foundation of loving kindness, building the bridge heart to heart with other human beings. Now, compassion is the same way. The main difference between loving kindness and compassion is that, oh, it's, it's difficult to put into words, but loving kindness is better translated as goodwill. You're wishing the other person to know the cause of suffering so they can be free from that and do no harm. You're wishing them well in that sense. Compassion is what happens when you actually see someone suffering and you empathize with the suffering and you want to prevent it or care for them. 
right? Compassion is much more object oriented. You see someone suffering and you want to help, right? It's the quivering of the heart, as Achan Sumedho said, I believe. You really want to, it's like a melting of the heart at the witnessing of someone else's discontent. And loving kindness can be done in the abstract. On the cushion, we can wish someone well. Compassion is really in the moment. You see them suffering and your heart opens and you want to help. It's more action-oriented and it's more direct heart-to-heart contact. Where loving kindness is just the wishing well for all beings. Like, I wish everyone to be free from suffering. That's a little bit more... um, less object-oriented. It's more hypothetical, but you can do it just in your imagination. Acting compassionately is not really something you do just inside your head. Compassionate action is the real connection to another human being. So there's the slight difference between metta and then compassion. Karuna, there's a little bit of a difference there between the two, especially in the Dharma. So I think I'll pause there. So maybe the topic isn't boring. It's the words. (laughs) The words themselves. I find when we sit on the cushion in every waking moment, mindfulness, of course, is going to be present. And we're going to remember to be mindful. And then the Buddha invites us to be clear in our seeing of what's arising. And he realizes that in order to see clearly what's arising and present, there has to be some interest. There has to be some, at least a mild enthusiasm a mild curiosity for us to be able to maintain that present moment. And so my wish for you this year is that every so often when you begin your sit, just say the intention, may I be mindful, may I be ardent, and may I be alert. That's why I try to throw it in every so often when I do guided meditations, just to remind us, hey, mindfulness, ardency, alertness, ground yourself in those three qualities. And then, of course, as we talked about last week, We remember that our highest aspiration is compassion and loving kindness and the wisdom of simplicity, of letting go. And remembering that letting go, as we talked about last week, is just the antithesis or the countermeasure to greed, to clinging, to craving. So we walk in the world and we have these aspirations that we keep close to our hearts, which is why we chant them, it's why we recollect them, and it's why we begin and end sits reminding ourselves of these qualities so we can keep ourselves on track with our intentions because our intentions are the seeds of action. It's such a profound part of the Dharma is the insight that our intentions are the ground of how we show up in the world. So continually reminding ourselves and keeping our intentions close to our heart increases the possibility that we will show up as kind, loving, and compassionate beings. That, in a nutshell, is the goal of the Dharma. Easier said than done, though, (laughs) as I will fully admit. Thank you, my friends, for your kind attention and your kind presence this evening. We have some time for some loving kindness before we close. I'd like to read again this week the precepts as Sylvia Borstein wrote in that lovely paragraph that I read last week. I would like to conclude today by reading the precepts because I just think the way she did it was so incredibly beautiful. So let's fall back into presence. We'll do a few uh, minutes of loving kindness, and then we'll conclude with um, the reading of these precepts. Take a few intentional breaths. 
breathing in a way that nourishes the body in this moment. Landing once again in embodied being with our intention to be ardent, alert, and mindful. Notice how you're really feeling in this moment. The emotional hue, the feeling of sitting, the feeling of breathing. Let's bring awareness to the body, in particular, the part of the body we call the heart. And with awareness of the heart, take a long, slow, deep breath in. Feeling into heart energy. this attunement, this attunement to the heart, we remind ourselves that our highest aspiration is that all beings be free from suffering. So we might ask ourselves in this moment if I could wish anything for all beings and know it would come to pass, what would I wish? May all beings be free from harm, be free from danger, worry, and concern. May all beings know true love, true kindness, and true compassion in this very life. And may all beings be free from suffering. And with this intention close to our hearts, to do no harm, to be free from harm, to wish others to be safe and secure, we might remind ourselves of our precepts. Here is one version. Because I love you, I promise never to harm you. Because I love you, I promise to never take anything you don't want to give me. Because I love you, I'll speak only truthfully and kindly to you. Because I love you, I'll treat your body with love. Because I love you, I will keep my mind free from confusion so that I act only out of wisdom. 
On behalf of myself and all beings, I intend to refrain from consciously hurting anyone. I intend to refrain from overtly or covertly taking what is not mine. I intend to be sure that my speech is kind as well as true. And I intend to refrain from addictive behaviors that confuse my mind and lead to heedlessness. Because I love you, I promise never to harm you. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you, my friends. This version of the precepts was taken from an article by Sylvia Borstein. And the section I began with that says, because I love you, that section is actually um, something she took from a pair of friends of hers that use that as their vows during a wedding. And I thought it was just, I just love it. I use it now for my love and kindness. Um, so if you want it, it's in the podcast notes and you can download all three paragraphs that are there. Uh, I just think they're beautiful. Thank you so much for spending the evening with us. May you be safe and well, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.